Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, delighted to be joined by Olivia Norman, the founder of Navilo. Olivia, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you, Reem. Absolutely thrilled to be here. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, typical fashion of the show, we did some prep in advance, um, but we'll keep it conversational, is a couple of minutes getting to know who you are. Then we jump into all the good stuff related to business, and, and we'll see where we go from there. And then there's a couple of standard questions at the end that we end most podcasts with, and then... Well, that will be it, but let's see where we go. Let's get started. You're originally from Galway. Yes. So take me back. What was life like growing up in Galway? Any favorite stand-up memories or hobbies? Um, not it, it, growing up in Galway was, I suppose, like every 1980s kid had to think. <laughs> um, yeah, I loved going to, um, there was like a local drama group thing that we used to do, like stage shows and things like that. So kind of from maybe the age of 12, 13, we were doing these, um shows what were they called oh they were huge they were like not musicals but it was dancing singing acting all that kind of business yeah. so um great foundation because for building confidence getting up there and doing all these shows and traveling around the place it was brilliant absolutely brilliant for creativity for confidence everything and uh, and the other thing i used to love was horse riding so but then once exams and stuff comes along those things kind of you know fall off and then you you know, go to college and, you know, those, that, that kind of part of life then kind of takes over. Um, but yeah, in terms, I say, when I'm looking about it now and thinking about, you know, even our conversation from last week, you know, yeah. business is all about confidence and being able to step up and speak to people, listen to people. Um, and I said, now that I'm thinking back and kind of going, yeah, that actually was a really good basis actually for a business. For sure. You mentioned horse racing. Strangely enough, I'm about 500 meters from Ferrier's race course. Well, um, horse riding now more so than horse racing. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Um, so you told me last week that you were kind of born and raised in Galway, but yeah. at the moment you're living in Cork, and yes. I believe the route that took you there was university. Yes, yeah. You want to tell the audience how you ended up in Cork? Yeah, so I would have, uh, yeah, life in Galway until I think it was like 23, 24, giving away my age here. Um, and then, uh, so I would have started college originally in UCG. I tried a science for a year, absolutely hated it. And I said, no, then I ended up going out over to the University of Bristol uh, to study pharmacology for supposedly four years. And then, yeah, after about three months, I absolutely hated it and said, oh, I can't do this. So then that's where I kind of took a step back, came back to Galway and did a recess. So looking at kind of my life now, as we're talking, from, this is where a lot of my come back, step back, reset, do something new. Yeah. So I, after kind of taking away that time away from science, I was like, do I really want to do science? So I decided let's do something completely different. And you know what I didn't mention before, actually, now that I think I trained as an air hostess for six months. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I went over to the UK and, and I talked about performing and standing and listening and, you know, and yeah, so I decided to do air hostessing because it was something totally different and, oh. 
yeah, and plus my um, career guidance counsellor at the time in school, she said, oh, for goodness sake, you know, what is an air hostess? But, you know, a waitress in the sky. And I just thought, yeah, but it'd be kind of cool. You know, it's a nice experience. So I did. I tried it. I went and I trained and I got a job in the UK for six months. And it was near the end of, I'd say, an amazing summer with a bunch of Irish living over in London, a 24 hour house. And next thing, my mum, I have completely forgotten that I had reapplied to college to do med lab and uh, which is in short medical laboratory science which is the basis of where I ended up and it was just like at the end of a conversation I uh, kind of going oh by the way something from the CA come up came in about med lab um you got in <laughs> and I had so the backstory slightly on that was that I had when I had come back from the UK kind of going oh what am I going to do in my life um I had gone out to what was then the RTC Regional Technical College and I gone out to the the head of MedLab and I said look here's my results I did you know a year of science uh, I did two months of pharmacology didn't really like college life in the UK um and I said, so, but I think I'd like to do this. And he looked at my results and he was so mean. He just looked at me and said, I wouldn't bother reapplying. You won't get it. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, okay, surely, you know. And he goes, no, wouldn't even bother. So I said, you know what? And that was that, you know, kind of determination. Going, Fine, I'll prove him wrong. And I went and I reapplied and I got mid-lab. But I completely forgot I reapplied first because I was off having fun in England and I literally remember, remember sitting down, I had a night with my buddies in the house over the UK going and going, which road do I take? Do I stay doing air hostessing or do I go back to the RTC and do college? And I just decided I need to go back. So I did. I literally packed up and like arrived in to the, the uh, well, I call it GMIT now. Um, but I just remember going from a big university where you kind of you're, can hide in the, in the lecture halls. And then the RTC is completely different. It's these small classrooms. And I walked in going, oh, I just do. Um, but, you know, and then the lecturer, he, the, the guy that told me don't apply, I met him and he looked at me and he goes, you look familiar. And I said, yeah, I said, I was here last February and you told me not to apply. And I says, well, he did. And I got it. <laughs> and to be fair, he made my life hell for the first two years. <laughs> I'm not joking. He was just so mean. But you know what? It was really good because I really pushed and pushed myself. And I, after the first year in MedLab and Goy, which is really, it, it's not an easy course. It really is head on really hard. Yeah. And I decided at the end of first year, do I really want to do this? So I, I rocked into um, the hospital in Galway during the summer. And I said, look, and at the time they had this thing for students where if you work for, I think it was a 200 hours for free for somebody at the end of it the government will pay you 600 euro <laughs> so I said grand I'll do that so I went into the lab and I went into the biochemistry lab and I said I'm offering you 200 hours for free um if and I had another job at the time so I was like five days working in a job and my two days off I was going into this lab and after the first two weeks they were like not too sure this is going to happen and then when they realized when I discovered what I was able to do they said, okay, whatever hours you want, we work around you, this is going great. So I did that for, I literally worked the entire summer, seven days a week. It was a bit ridiculous. But by the time I come in second year, I nearly knew more than what the lecture was because I was up to date as to what was happening because I was working in the quality department. 
get to know everything that's going on and you know tracking things and stuff and when I think about it now it's like actually all of this experience has been fabulous for setting up a skincare company because you need to track all this information you need to be on top of it um so I did so that's in in Galway at the time you you need to do three years in Galway and then after that if you wanted to finish your degree you either had to go to Dublin, Coleraine or Cork to finish the degree for two years and I just said don't want to go to Dublin, don't want to go to Coleraine. If I'm yeah. going anywhere, I'm going to Cork. And you had to get the, like, the top five places in, in the college. And I, I was number two. I got number two. Yes. <laughs> Cork. So I did. I toddled down to Cork and I spent two years here and to get my degree. And in the middle of that, I started working in the blood bank in Cork. Um, because the, the, the head of the blood, blood bank at the time, he was lecturing us. And so after my first year in Cork, he said, um, I'd like to offer you a job in the blood bank which was amazing so I was like straight in doing cross matches for people you know real proper med lab work you know I didn't even finish the degree because he said no no you're finished your blood bank work after fourth year so let's get cracking and that's what I did and it was that summer then that I met my husband and so yeah he's from Cork and uh, at the time he was living in France um but uh fair play to him he came back <laughs> after a year and then once I graduated from college, we, yeah, we moved in together and I just never left Cork. So at this stage now, I'm longer in Cork than I am in Galway. So, um, yeah, so that's how I ended up in Cork and ended up doing, you know, um, the blood bank work for a couple of years. And then I then eventually got a job then in the Mercy Hospital. And that's where I was working then for about 16, 17 years. That's a that's a great background. Three words that I wrote down that came to mind when I was listening to you talk were driven, mm-hmm. determined and energetic. Um, yeah. I don't know what the listeners are thinking, but maybe we're aligned. Um, uh, I want to move on from, from Cork, but I know there's a gap between, let's say, the blood bank days and Navilo, because mm-hmm. Navilo was 2019, so there's a good gap there. Let's spend a bit of time of this podcast now talking about building up to Navilo, because that's going to be the latter half of the podcast. Mm-hmm. I know you went on a career break uh, and moved to the US for a while. Yeah. I think you moved to the US twice uh, and you've worked in a lab as well. For the audience, I'm going to let you explain and connect the dots there between the blood bank and thing. And I'll interrupt between here and there to, to throw in questions that the audience might be thinking. Cool. Okay. Um, I suppose so. I would have, so after the blood bank, I think I was there for about two years and then I moved to the Mercy. And while I was there, um, I bought, we, you know, myself, my husband, we bought um, uh, a really old secondhand house and did it up. So literally I used to spend, you know, days working in the lab and evening and weekends doing up an old house. <laughs> and then we ended up, we got married and then my husband got a new job where he um, was being sent over to the States. Um, yeah. So we were literally married, I think it was about three or four months and he took off. He had to, he literally had to move straight over to the States. So he was in the States wow. for about five months before me. Um, so I was here, you know, finishing up, doing up the house and uh, working morning, noon and night um, because our dream was to actually at some stage go off traveling together for about 10 weeks, you know, to do Australia, New Zealand and all of that. So we had decided, right, you work all the on call and to explain to the listeners what on call is, it's working back then say going back 20 years ago you were working 24 hours working 24 hour shifts so you come in you work your normal nine to five in the lab and then everybody goes home and then you're there in the lab by yourself working whatever is coming in through any and whatever hospitals until nine o'clock the next morning what was that like horrendous (laughs) (laughs) it really it was and and like i said it's 
because you had no you weren't constantly working like you had it was it, that's why they call it an on-call service is in you know if a patient comes in they need bloods done they call you and then you go up to the lab and you put the bloods through but like a lot of the times you know you could be working five six seven hours through and you know you need to go to the bathroom going okay i, I need to go do that now but you had to be awake like i don't yes. know i can't remember the last time i had a 24-hour stint awake yeah no it is it's and it does not do your body well it really doesn't because uh but you know what nurses do what doctors are even worse they were doing 48 hours you know for weekends it's you know it is it's cruelty it really is um but the, the trouble is with that system is there's not enough staff to be able to do shift work you know where somebody's coming in maybe at eight o'clock at night or something and doing that there's just not enough med lab staff to do that so it ends up that can i pause you for a second if you were in charge of fixing that system so that there would be enough staff what would one or two things you'd do um i suppose that in terms of for the med lab part of it it needs to be the tests needs to be you know kind of narrowed down to the few very basic tests because some of them can be a little bit encumbersome to do and maybe not needing to be done as an emergency at night um so that kind of would take the pressure off you uh, you know yep. do certain tests but i mean look it's an ongoing problem and i don't know can it ever be solved because what happens is that you have a shift work system in the hospital for you know and you you need so many staff it's like with the nursing staff there have like three days on three days off or you know they've seven nights on and you know that system has been there for a long time um and they have a huge amount of staff to be able to do that but the trouble is the amount of, say for this example, the amount of nurses that are being qualified around the country, there could be hundreds of them. Whereas with MedLab, there's probably maybe 60 per year graduating. You so know? What, 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 the first thing that comes to my mind here is, um, take COVID, for example, there was a lot of companies that were uh, reluctant to do any online training. And in fact, there was some that I can still think of and face comes to my mind that said, we'll never do any online training. But when push came to shove and COVID happened, they had to do it. Or if I give my friend, if, for example, I live with my brother and if I say, you know, it's his turn to do clean and I'll say, I'll be back in two hours. He'll take two hours to clean. But if I say, I'll be back in 30 minutes, he'll have it done in 30 minutes. So the reason why I said that is what I'm jumping at here based on what you're saying is maybe more places on courses available so that in a couple of years time there's more people available to do the things that you're talking about to take the stress off other people potentially but then there's an added problem for that that when you're in this career um by by the nature of the job it's routine and it has to be because you have to be able to do it because when you're doing it at night like you're putting stuff through and looking going did i just do that but you know because you've done it so often that you know you're so and it's it's like an uh, it's stuff that you can't learn off the job. You have to be in the job doing it. Gotcha. There's a sense of intuition as to, you know, I've had it so often where I'm looking down a microscope because the department I worked with hematology, where you're looking down at these red cells or white cells and going, I don't have a good feeling about this. <sighs> you know, that's not something. And it was part of my guilt, actually, for not wanting to change the job because it was like I gained all this knowledge and information just by sitting there hour after hour doing this and to walk away from that because that's not that can't be, you know, they've tried to, but you can't train it. It's and and all of us, you know, sitting down there, we pass slide over to each other. What do you think of that? Mm, yeah, not too sure about that either. And you know, there's that level of instinct. So yes, you can see how can we train more people up in this fast, 
but you can't. It's just one of these things that it's in there every day doing it. Um, but the problem is as well with the job is they're finding it hard now to actually hold on to people. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's a big issue all around at the moment. The great problem. resignation is a big thing that's floating around. It's huge. It's a huge problem. And because it's and because people get it's not that they get bored, but you're doing the same thing every day. And like I said, which it is the nature of the job, you can't change that because it's important. Um, so in terms of growth and development, um, you know, there is no necessarily growth because there's only so there's only so many people can work, you know, at senior level and, you know, junior level. And that's it. You know, so there's no kind of going off and doing all the training and exploring. And there's just not that's not the nature of the job. Gotcha. And, um, you know, so that's why there's a lot of problems in that people are moving on or people are graduating. And they're going in then to work in either industry or pharmaceuticals and stuff. They're not even going into the hospital. So even if you piled on, you know, 10 times the more students going in training in it, you still not may not get that at the other end. It's just the nature of the job. So how can you fix it? I don't know. So take me back to moving to America. So, yeah, moving to America. Um, so, so when when the opportunity came over to go to America, um, I jumped at it because previous to when I was in, uh, you know, in between the air hostessing and, and UCG, I had gone to America as a student and I went over there and like that working in really crappy, you know, countries, oh, I can't remember what they're called, plunge clubs. And it's really hard and just just not nice. <laughs> and we were the lucky ones because we were two to a room. There was other, you know, people working in 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 these particular country clubs, and there could have been thirty of them in like two rooms. It was so we were posh, you know, <laughs> we were lucky. And I just remember when I left America at that time, kind of going, um, and like you know, at that time, everyone was on J ones, and you're like, great, go to America, you learn loads of money on tips and blah blah, blah. marvelous. You know, the reality of it is, it's not because everything's expensive over there, and you. If you don't have a car and you don't have a degree, you know, you're kind of a bit stuck. So I, I left America and came back and I said, I'm not going back until I have a degree and a, and a driving license. And by the way, I don't think I fancy work and I'll just come and enjoy it. And I manifested it in the terms of my husband got the job. And because he was only kind of there on a three month visa himself, because he was he was setting up stuff from an Irish base. There was I couldn't get a visa. So I just had to, you know, well, sleep because I had done about six months of permanent on call. So I went over to Boston and, you know, we stayed near Harvard, the university, and I just loved just walking through, just walking through it and seeing life and America and going to the coffee shops. And it was just a different pace of life. And, you know, going, we were able to go, you know, um, skiing, you know, driving two hours up the country and we went skiing or we went kayaking. It was just a fabulous experience. Um, and we really, really enjoyed it. And then we ended up coming home for a couple of months because of the job. We had to go back again. And then my husband was working with MIT, you know, uh, or not MIT, sorry, it was MIT first. Um, and then there was another company, a uh, bigger one down in um, Baltimore. So and he was working with them and the same. We were going over for like six months and then that went to nine months. So I decided, sure, I'm at home. I'll train as a life coach because it's something I'm actually quite good at. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I decided to do that online. And again, all of these were kind of all building and, you know, directing me into having my own business because all these skills I see now are so valuable. 
you know, their the ability to ask questions, to talk to your customers, to see what they're wanting, what they're needing. And all of this was, you know, I, I was building up to this, you know, as I was going on in my life. So eventually we came home because uh, we want to start a family. And so we had my son, believe it or not, I can't believe he's very 15. And so we settled back in Cork. And then I was back in working in the hospital again. And after about I think was it all when I had um, um, my youngest son, Caden, he we had that stage we had decided we wanted to move to the country to build a house. Yeah. So I was still working in the lab all the time. And um, my husband, to be fair, he was still traveling over back to the States, like for one week a month, which was really tough um, when you've got tiny little kids and he's gone. And every single time he went on a trip, somebody ended up in, <laughs> you know, in South Dock. It's like, here we go again. Anyway. So sure, look, you know, you look in hindsight going, thank goodness got through that. Um, and then by the time then my youngest little boy, who's nine and a half, um, he, bless him, went through hell. He was born at 25 weeks. So he, everything that could go wrong with the Premi went wrong. Um, you know, I, the other pregnancies were fine. Um, couple of issues here and there, but nothing major. I did not expect on the third baby to be sitting in an ICU. Um, yeah. with a little fella who was born at two pounds and we were literally you know sitting hour by hour waiting will he live will he live will he live it was the most you know horrifying experience for sure but did it show me resilience did it you know I mean my goodness he taught me so much and he also taught me don't plan too far ahead because you know dinner we went out for dinner myself and my husband it was his 40th birthday and we went out for dinner and I'd been having these Braxton Hicks you know for the last two weeks, didn't know really what they what was happening. And bless my husband kept saying, mind over matter, you're fine, you're grand, your mind over matter, should they just crack some hicks? And then by the time we went, I said, right, we'll go out for dinner. We're out in Conseil for dinner and halfway through dinner, I just went, I need to go outside. And I don't know what it is about, you know, pregnancy and labor, you go outside, have some fresh air and it hit me so strong going, no, no, this is labor. So went back in and says, no, we need to leave right now. So we did. We left the restaurant at half nine and he was born at half ten by emergency section. Wow. It was the most. Yeah. If you videoed it, you just you wouldn't believe it all happened, but it did. But he came out and he was battered, black and blue. Don't know why the doctors don't know what happened with him. Um, they didn't expect him to pull through whatever, but he kept doing it. He kept it. And every day he kept pulling through. His bowel burst, he bled into his lungs, you name it, this poor fella, it happened to him. But I'm always a firm believer in miracles and I just kept believing. I said, no, he's he's going to be fine. He's, he's, he's going to pull through. Yeah. I remember having the conversation in my head and sitting and I, I had two roads to choose. One was a white coffin and the other one was a healthy, strong boy. And I just remember kind of forcing myself, make the decision and let him guide me. And I, I made, I went up to him and I, and I just said to Kate and I said, look, you don't have to do this. You, you've, you've battled enough. If you need to go, you need to go. And this is now he was day 10 at this stage, was he? No, he was a week old. He was a week old at this stage. And I had to go. They had this, I call the milking parlor. So apologies now to listeners if they're a bit allergic to all of this, but I call the milking parlor because it's where you're sent as a, a, a as a mom to go pump, to feed, to, to, get all this food for these tiny little babies that you don't know will they need it or not it is the most horrendous kind of situation you'll ever find yourself in but it's you just take it step by step and I remember I had to go in and I needed to go pump and I, I literally you know went up to him and you know touched his tiny little hand and said 
um, you can go. Don't hang on, hang on because of us. But I said, here's the deal. If I go in there and I'll do this, and by the time I come back, um, if you're still here, I'm here. We're, we're doing this. And I went in and cried and cried and cried and came back out and he was still there. And I said, okay, we're doing this. And from then on in, it was it nearly got worse. And um, they were about to basically, long and short fizz, they gave us a choice to either hold him as they turned off his life support or leave him in the incubator. And I just said, no, I need to touch him. I need to, I said, if, we're, if, if this is where we're at. So they pulled him out and bless them. It took them 45 minutes to do so between all the tubes and whatnot. And I held him and I smelled him and I said, oh my goodness, he actually smells like a baby because he didn't look like one. Yeah. And I just thought, and I actually thanked him. I said, thank you for the last week. You have been incredible for just giving us this gift. And, you know, I'm here for you. We're going to do this. But if you're not, don't hang on for us. And that power of touch and that connection, his heart rate came up. All his stats were just amazing. And the consultants looked at us going, oh my goodness, put him back in. Let's see where we go. We have another six hours. Let's see what happens. It was the most, you know, mind boggling situation you'll ever find yourself in going, oh my goodness. Okay, let's keep going. And the doctors just said, okay, if, it, if he goes down again, get him out and put it in his mother's arms. Yeah. It was that powerful. And I can know, and this is why this is when I'm all, why am I, why am I in skincare? Because that power of touch and connection is so important that I said I was in a life or death situation with my son and he pulled through because of it so long and short of it he got himself up to Crumlin ended up having about three four operations and uh, like all of that was really tough you know time but he pulled through and he is the most incredible amazing little fella you'll ever find well you gotta give us an update of what he's doing now how is he at he, the moment he's nine and a half and he is incredible I mean they bless them. The doctors are still shocked by him. They any, any hobbies? Uh, um, everything from gymnastics to soccer to, uh, you know, is it uh, surfing? <laughs> he's he's a little surfer. Um, you know, like everything. Absolutely. You know, I mean, he, you look at him, and there's no way you can see that there was nothing wrong with him, that that he had that journey, bar all the scars in his body. And I remember having the conversation with him one day as to. He's like, I was explaining to him, kind of in, in, in as much as knowledge that he needed to, you know, that uh, um, his body went through an awful lot. And this, what you had this operation for this one. And uh, that explains those scars, mom. <laughs> you know, and he is, he's, he's and, and to be fair, even I was having a discussion with him about vaccines, vaccines. And I said, you know, the vaccines are available now for your age group. What do you think? You know, you know, is this something you want to do? Or, you know, what do you think? And he said to me, to be fair, mum, I've been through quite a lot when I was tiny. I think I'll be grand. <laughs> you know, and I mean, I just looked at him going, um, yeah, you, you're going to be more than grand. So yeah, he's perfect. He's absolutely perfect. So, well, shout out to Caden, but Caden's not your only child. You have three. Um, and you mentioned to me when we were talking last week that there was this, I branded it as a pivotal moment from working in a lab to moving over to Navilo. Um, and one of the pivotal moments was, you had just said to me there around not planning too far ahead, but also the story with your daughter. Mm -hmm. And that that kind of opened the jar of like, I'm going to continue to go full force with Navilo. So before you tell me or the listeners the story of your daughter, do you want to explain in 60 to 90 seconds what Navilo is? 
Okay, so Navilo is, it is a skincare brand. It is, and I'm focusing on prebiotics. And the prebiotics are amazing at helping balancing those microbiome, if you want to call them bacteria on your skin. And my firm belief is that, you know, help balance that and your skin is really, really happy. Because that microbiome on your on your skin is like your first defense. And uh, so when I, so I focused on the underarm area uh, for the moment, and I created an underact, uh, uh, sorry, I, because I have an underactive thyroid, and that actually has a real effect on everything in your body, you know, metabolism and what goes in and what goes out of your body. So I used to always struggle with body odor, and I really didn't want to be putting on you know, chemical stuff on my, on my skin. Yeah. And after trying lots of various different brands, some of them burned, some of them were good, some of them weren't great. And I decided, okay, let me take this on. And yeah, I created a whole prebiotic um, deodorant in three different scents. And also I wanted to go a bit, deeper, a bit deeper and I created then a detox paste, which is fantastic at kind of giving a deep clean to your underarm skin, amazing for your face and also for your feet. If for people with issues with, you know, smelly feet, it's the same it's the same problem. If there's a smell, the means is an imbalance of bacteria. So my whole thing is bring back the nice balance of the bacteria and your skin is happy. Um, but I wanted to kind of exclude things like sodium bicarbonate because when I found I used them long term, it, it burned my skin. And I really wanted this you know, product to be really suitable for the most sensitive skin in terms of for kids, for people going through cancer, chemotherapy or anything really. And I said, if I can help them, I can help everybody, you know. Um, so that's what I did. I took 18 months to create this particular um, formula. And uh, so it's been really kind of on the market, probably more for, for the last year. Um, and had an amazing conversation with, you know, some of my customers yesterday. I did an amazing walk down in Dungarvan and they're users of Navilo. And it was so beautiful because there was one lady had said to me, she said, it's more than just a deodorant. She goes, I can't explain to you why, but she says, I'm sitting there in the chemo ward and I'm so happy and confident that I have Navilo on and I don't smell. She goes, I've given it to my, my friend beside me because she said, how do you not smell? Because <laughs> with chemo, your food, you have you know, chemicals going in, keeping you alive. Yeah. They need to come out. Um, so she said she went and she gave her some and she says, here, try this. She's now using it. And then she said her sister, wanted some so she's using it so she said you're in my life you're in my friend's life you're in my sister's life and now she said as of two weeks ago she goes you're in my niece's life she just turned 10 her body is now really she's gone through a tough time with the whole smell and hormonal change and she said now Navila was her, her life and she said it is beautiful and she says I can't thank you enough for what you've done Amazing. So, I'm going to leave links depending on where people are watching or listening to this in the show notes to visit your website um, and any other links you want. We can talk afterwards what you want included. But there's a great story your daughter told you in the car one day. Yes. About the villa. Yeah, so, story? yeah, no, my daughter, she's um, she's at the time she was eight and a half. And I suppose I was kind of really in a, in a situation at work where I was struggling between running, racing, looking after three kids. My oldest fella, who's now 15, was mad into competitive gymnastics. So we were literally constantly running. And I, I was coming to a stage where I said, I knew I needed to make a change. But that September, before I decided to kind of take a step back, um, Lily hopped into the car and I got this waft, very familiar waft from her. And she was eight and a half. And I have to say, I was heartbroken. Because I'm like, really? 
now at eight and a half and I knew this is the start of of puberty and I said but at eight and a half and she but I didn't want to say anything to her and she she, she didn't need to because she said mom she says I need your help and I said yeah why and I, she said I really smell <laughs> she said I need can you make me up one of your magic stuff just to back up on that I had been making the deodorant for myself because I got a gift uh, about six months previous to this from a friend of mine it was like a bar of deodorant which was actually working quite well but the trouble with the bar every time I put it on it just fell around the place and it was just yeah. it just wasn't working and of course me being me it was like I can do something better googled a few recipes created a different kind of a cream version and it was this one that Lily was like please can you make me up you know your own one so then because she was eight and a half at the time I added a little bit of this it was bare minerals you know glitter eyeshadow and she loved it because she said oh I've got glittery pits and it was just so lovely seeing that element of she was helping herself and being proud about it and then she she was kind of saying oh great I don't smell anymore this is great so it was about two months later after she was using it and, and she was only using it like once twice a week it, you know and uh, she said that when I decided that I really had had enough of the running and racing and I want to do something different and I took a career break and I just said right what now so this is October of that year in 2019 uh, 2018 sorry and she said to me mom why don't you just do your product she says do you know it's the deodorant that you make for me and it's working really well and she said there's plenty of us that are stinky minkies that could do with it so I said you know what let me see and I, literally in that moment I sat down and googled you know female entrepreneurs or something in Cork and the Rubicon Centre came up and in Cork and that was my first step into testing do I want to be an entrepreneur um, do I want to start my own business and what does it entail and that was fantastic because it was three weeks three evenings a week three hours yeah. and like there were the questions you know that we spoke about last week that I had to answer for myself what was the problem I was solving and would somebody pay for it yep so for those three weeks I went and I went into different shops and I asked them do you sell deodorant what problems do you have have your customers come in what you know did a bit of research and uh, there's definitely a need for it um but it was a lot of the times it was it's too hard or then it's it, it melts and it gets too soft. So it's like, OK, so I kind of need to do a bit of a, you know, Goldilocks situation on it, <laughs> figure out how to not make it runny and not make it hard. Um, but at the end of those three weeks, I did. I had two men come up to me who had bought the product and they said they loved it and they were happy to buy it. So I knew I had a problem solved and they were going to pay for it. So then the next step from that then was I went on the next program. Um, it was starting with Rubicon it was the uh, Excel program and that was like one Saturday a month for six months which sounds now when I look when I think back of it it's like for female entrepreneurs giving them the chance to kind of have a job during the week and look after kids and then Saturday was one Saturday a month was dedicated to starting a new business um, but it was full on because there was marketing research, there was, you know, financial research, there was a tremendous amount of work. It was an amazing, you know, opportunity to actually to really test a business. Um, so I did that. And um, I suppose one of the other pivotal moments for me, I think, was the January after I had done that uh, first uh, course with the Rubicon, I sat in a cafe and I just said, right, do I want to do this? Do I want to actually go down the line of creating a product, making it, you know, selling it online, doing all of that. And I was really kind of going, am I able to do this? Yeah. And then I sat and I, there was, um, I'm a huge believer in like universal signs sitting in the, uh, there was a, 
a paper there and I sat down and I read and at the very bottom there was an article uh, by um, a journalist who read a review about a scientific study that was done on pregnant women way back in 99 and it was measuring uh, their levels in their blood of various you know things that you'd find in cosmetics um, silicones, parabens, all this kind of business. And they measured them then and they measured them in the children. And as the children were like, you know, eight, nine, 10, whatever, they measured them. There was obviously certain criteria they were looking for as to when they went into puberty. And in this article, it just struck me when I was reading it, uh, the, the basically the results of that, um, it was over in the University of California. They discovered that um, the higher the parabens levels, and it's like everything from shampoo, toothpaste, deodorant, it was everything. It's, you know, it's kind of hard to narrow down which one, but the higher level of these parabens, which they were able to dictate in the blood, the sooner that the girls went into puberty. It actually brought on puberty anywhere between six months and a year and a half. Now, to put that in perspective, you know, in, in my day going through, you know, there was girls maybe like 13, 14 starting their periods, but now push that forward they're now 9 10 11 wow which there's a huge difference between a 9 year old and a 12 year old mm-hmm. having these changes in their body and then when i'm looking at so many other friends they're now going through on the other end of that that they can't have children that they are going through ivfs and there's all of this kind of going on so the sooner you're starting puberty you're taking away that time at the end off you know so there's i was like oh my god this this is a really huge problem yeah it's a massive one we need to kind of really think, what are we putting on our skin? Mm-hmm. In every sense of the way, not just a deodorant. So I think I just focused on deodorant because that was one thing that, I think because I was able to kind of think about the scientific part of it, which was the bacteria. And I went to, so I did a, it was building the business all along and learning and researching and talking to customers and figuring out what it is they wanted. And then I went to a formulation conference in the UK and that it was November, 2019. And that blew me away because that's where I discovered the joy of prebiotics and what they do. And I taught, and, I, and because I had that scientific background, I was able to talk to these guys that actually tested it. Um, they had done their own testing of it and I was able to question it and query it. And I said, this is the way forward. This is what makes Nivelo different. I'm not just hiding smells. I'm not just trying to put a perfume on something. I'm actually coming up with actually a solution. Yeah. And of course, I wanted to bring that step further and I wanted it as the cream. And I looked at doing it as a roll-on and all this kind of thing. And then when I was sitting with it, I was like, okay, I want to be able to change something here. And with deodorant, people are like, roll-on, spray-on and go, don't think about it. But I decided along the way that I said, with the amount of breast cancer, that are coming around the world and I, this is not me kind of be controversial and saying oh deodorant is causing it it's not but for me it was like if I can normalize touching your skin on your arm and if I can do that with kids to begin with how beneficial will that be in their life that they it's normal for them to lift their arm to check on their arms to put on the deodorant is there anything changing happening yeah. if I can normalize that as a, like a 9 10 11 year old you know, they'll spot things way sooner yeah. than spray go. You, you're not even connected, don't want to touch. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that was, there was that element of it. And then I looked at the plastics. I said, no, I don't want plastic. And I wanted it to go down the line of glass because at least it's reusable, it's recyclable. Um, and when I looked at the cardboards of stuff, 
I struggled with them because instead I bought several samples from different brands and I tried them. But I found the minute you're rolling this thing on your arm, you're like rubbing the cardboard off your skin and you're just and it's just not nice. And then to bring it a little bit further. And again, apologies now to your listeners if they're a bit squeamish. When I was thinking about it, it was like when you're rubbing, you know, this like a roll on or whatever, part of the ingredients in these roll-ons are actually to stop the growth of bacteria and dead skin going off in the product because yeah. as you're rolling the deodorant on what you're doing is is that you're taking dead skin and bacteria and you're rolling it back into the product so that's and then you come the next day and you roll it on again <laughs> like unless you're really 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 good at cleaning your skin so now you've got you know and, and the, in, this is this is and, and I, the reason i talk about this is because this is one of the big problems and the big challenge of getting somebody to touch the underarm skin they just don't like it they just yeah. they're like Ooh. and i keep explaining to them saying okay if you took you know um you know particularly as you know as and, then, and tremendous amount of men are using creams in their faces now which is fabulous because they're now looking after the skin but what I would say to them is, is, would you take a roll on, you know, facial moisturizer and roll it on your skin and your face? And even if your face was dirty <laughs> and then you roll it on again, would you yeah. do that? No, I wouldn't do that. And I said, yeah, but the skin under your arm is the same thing. You know, it's clean. So why not touch it? And like I suppose my passion is because the importance of touch, the importance of connection with yep. your body. And, and I says when you're dealing with uh, speaking, to all these amazing cancer survivors particularly breast cancer survivors this weekend they were afraid to touch their body they were afraid to touch their scars they were afraid no. to touch their skin um and what they there was an amazing um she's a physiotherapist that i was that i'm now kind of like you know linking up with because she adores Navilo product and what it's doing because it's so well and it's it's bringing you the opportunity to touch your skin every day and she said the power of that, she says, you've no idea what it does to a person, because if a part of your body has been cut off and taken away, you nearly there is a disconnect with it and you don't want to touch, you don't want to feel. Whereas if you're bringing in something like a deodorant, it's like, well, you don't want to smell. So put this on and rub it in and connect. And then that's where I brought in my little mantra cards that I now sent out with my product to give the opportunity to give that person that couple of moments in time to apply the deodorant and recite the mantra and it could be I see and feel love everywhere I go today yeah. and for me to do that for and if I could get that little beautiful habit into a little 10 and 11 year old who is connecting with their body connecting with that sense of wellness and that mantra in their mind I said that is a powerful way to start sure. to start life so from listening to the conversation I was having with you last week, I was sitting here, what is the ethos of my company? It's a skincare company with prebiotics. I, and I'm doing, you know, really doing a lot to try and figure out how can I bring the most natural, cleanest products to the market that does you well. And I came up to, it came back actually that medical oath that the doctors take of first do no harm. And I sat with me and I went, that's what Navilo is about. First, do no harm. And do no harm in the sense that, you know, blocking your pores and stopping your body from sweating, it's not helping you. Your body needs to control its body temperature, it needs to get rid of, you know, toxins in your body. So blocking it up is not the problem, you know, it's not a solution. 
So first, do no harm in terms of allow your body to push, to do what it needs to do. The product will work really hard for you. It's going to help balance out the bacteria in your arms. So it will reduce that level of body odor and, you know, kind of take away that sense of, oh, I smell. Then the mantras are there. And again, first, do no harm, you know, in terms of the, the language we use to ourselves every day. You know, it's like we're, we're our worst enemies saying, oh, you look puffy, oh, you're this, oh, you're that. And I'm like, oh, again, think of those thoughts. First, do no harm mm -hmm. to yourself and then bring it back into the product itself. It lasts quite a long time. Like the, the jar, 60 ml jar could last you anywhere between three and four months, depending on where they're using it every day or every second day. So again, you're not putting all these roll-ons and sprays into the bin because they just get binned. There's, yeah, there's no true. recycling of them. So I thought if I can stop harm because people want to stop body odor, why do these things need to end up in the sea? <laughs> because I want to stop smell. So again, it's the environmental element of recycle, reuse, do no harm. And so that kind of, you know, from our conversation last week, that's what my skincare company is about. It is about first do no harm. And when I was having the conversation with these, like I said, amazing women, and they were genuinely, they, they actually thanked me. This is because you're giving us the opportunity to connect with our skin. Mm. And um, they were like, and, and we do recite the mantras. You know, this is not something that's added to other products, but it brings that, that ritual, if you want, in the morning or afternoon or evening or wherever you use it. And it just really kind of helps grind, you know, it ground them there in just in that moment. So that is what Navini was about. Brilliant. Um, I've got two more questions for you. Um, but before I do that, I was thinking any business I've started, one of the things I'll do before I started is kind of look at how big is the audience for the business. So whether you're talking, uh, when I was 17 and I used to run, I was a DJ back in the day and I used to run events in the village for teenagers. And I was like, well, what's the maximum size audience we could get to, to determine the venue that I was going for? And you lay out all these plans and, Fast forward to other businesses, agencies I've owned. Um, but when I look at yours, everyone has an armpit. So 7.8 billion people is, is your market. But I do, I did have two questions for you. Um, the Velo itself, I'd like to think that if we fast forward to 2024 or 2025, that, that this is a household name across the country of Ireland. And I'm sure you have plans to go further than that as well. So what are you doing today to continue to grow the brand so that it goes in that direction? So it goes that direction. Um, I suppose my USB and what I connect with is that sense of education. Yep. It's a huge thing for me. So where it might be a slow burner getting, and, and like I said, my customers that I was even talking to this weekend, they're the ones that are telling their friends, telling their daughters, things like that. So it is growing beautifully in that sense so what I, I think what I'm focusing at the moment is is growing that connection with my customers that level of trust because you can see yourself with the social media and marketing like you know people are just they're they're wising up to all of it that they're not being fooled anymore people people are tired of being told this will do this this it'll plump you up it'll do this but at the end of the day it doesn't and they're being let down so from my perspective what I'm working on is growing that level of trust and then getting that scientific proof. So I'm, I've just literally started a, a scientific project with the MTU, formerly CIT, 
and I have three fabulous fourth year students and they are they are doing the testing and we are getting you know you know um uh, we're getting uh, is it, uh, participants or <laughs> to you know take our you know swabs with our armpits and switch over to using the vino for two weeks and then testing it at the other end um, no, this is like this has this has been started. This was two years ago. I started this connection, um, but it didn't happen then because of COVID. Because I was literally about to start and everything was pulled. But you know what? These things. It's like I said, divine timing. This is perfect because at the time people were there was it was finding it hard to get people to volunteer because they're like, ew, you know, you know, swapping your armpit. But two years on, everybody's had things up their nose. So under armpits, happy days. Do you need two? I'll give you two. So, um, so my I suppose my perspective is, and for me, I want that scientific proof because it's what I yeah. I believe it's there. So that is step one, and uh, the second step then is growing it. And yeah. It will be getting investment. It will be you know outsourcing production eventually. Um, but I think the grounding that I'm doing now and setting the intentions, the the mission from the company, if you want to call it, or the intention. It is always about the customer and their experience and what are their needs and where do they want to buy the product? Because that's the other question people ask me is like, are you in shops or are you going into chemists? And, and I've asked my customers, I'm like, do you like the fact that you can buy it directly from me? Would you like the option of subscription service in the future where, you know, how I love to say it is your deodorant turns up three, four months, you know, in the post, you know, no sweat. <laughs> you know, it just turns up so you don't have to think about it. And they're like, yeah, I actually really like that. Yeah. Um, because they know they're getting it from me or they're getting it, you know, you know, from, you know, either a fulfillment place that I have vetted has made sure that is giving my customer that experience that they're wanting um as opposed to going into other shops and this is a fresh product you know it, it has a year and a half lifespan so it can't be sitting in you know warehouses ready to be shipped around you know or sitting there for two years it's not these are you know it's like with the food would you like to eat something that's you know freshly prepared or needs to be eaten within three days or do you want something that has been sitting there for months and months and months very true and you, that's that's kind of where I want to go with it. So word of mouth springs to mind when you talk of the first yes. thing you mentioned. And and so I got two things. The first thing, word of mouth springs to mind. And the first thing that came to my mind then was peer-to-peer -peer reviews are so powerful because you were talking mm -hmm. about people are not kind of being fooled into a lot of these things that yeah. we are today. G2.com, don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's big in the business-to-business -business world. It's one of the top most visited sites in the world. I think it's the second most visited site in the world. Essentially, it's just where like, take uh, Salesforce as a software or Microsoft as a software company. People could go on and review that as a customer. And then if someone else is considering buying Microsoft, they could go on and look at all the reviews. So mm -hmm. all the companies are on this and it, it, it eliminates, it, it kind of gives the control to the buyer because yeah. they can go on and look and then they can ping the person a message asking, you know, questions that they want to know. So they come to the, the salesperson's call with a ton of data that they already want to know. So it's not a, the, the salesperson doesn't have that kind of leverage that they used to have. The second thing you mentioned, and, and I'm happy to talk more of it off air, but you, you, you said investment, and I'm not going to push anything at you, but two things to the mind. You'd be mad not to enter EY Entrepreneur of the Year for Cork in 2022 if it's not closed. Just from a purely uh, networking point of view mm -hmm. uh, and getting the name of your company out there is massive. And then there's a 
group called Scale Ireland. They're from Dogpatch Labs. Uh, they're actually taking applicants at the moment for a six-week kind of... Uh, I can't think of the right word, but you can check it out. I'll leave the links below if anyone else is interested as well. And the guys involved and the girls involved in that are are, are, are phenomenal. Um, from just a connection point of view, from a networking point of view, it's great as well. And a lot of the uh, connections can help spread the word of this product. Mm-hmm. So definitely worth taking a look into those two things. The final question I have for you of this podcast is, what does success mean to you? Uh, this is a conversation I've even been kind of talking to my accountant with, I you know, and, you know, and even talking to my customers this weekend because they're saying, oh, how's business going for you? And I said, you know what? Um, I said, you know, I'm looking at how fast I want to grow this. And I said, I could easily, you know, get investment, go, you know, take out big loans and really push this and get this everywhere. But I, you know, when I was talking to my customers and I was saying, you know, where do you want to see this? You know, do you want to see this bombarded all over Instagram? you know kind of a thing and they're like no it's we love the way you're doing it and it's growing and growing and growing um so for me the success was listening and, and like getting an actual text messages then and dms from my customers gonna going like one of my most wonderful ladies she get back to me and she said she was about to get botox on her armpits because she said she could not cope with the smell wow. and she said she she found out to be fair she found me on instagram but it was an instagram live that I was doing, which I love doing and connecting with other various different people that are in this business with gen- being genuine and trustworthy. And um, these are the people I want to connect with. And she found me in this life and she says, OK, I'll give it a go. So she did. And she got on to me and she says, holy moly, she says, I've done them all. I've done the ones that block your pores for like three weeks and that doesn't work. And she says, this has changed everything for me. So my mission in this is like one customer at a time. And I, I have a tagline, you know, I'm changing the way we use deodorant one armpit at a time. And it kind of is that because it is, it's education and, you know, these things take time and I can try and push it and rush it. But I think at the end of the day, it's like, I need to kind of stay authentic to how much work I can do, you know, and like, yeah part of me kind of thinks okay and this is no offense to any male entrepreneurs out there but they may not have the same question of oh I have three kids so there's only so much I can do yeah as a female entrepreneur I do and like I said between I have you know a 9 12 and a 15 year old they're at a beautiful age where they still want to hang out with me and do stuff that's a good thing if which is amazing and I've and you know my husband and I have worked so hard on that to create that environment for our kids um but I'm no good to them if I'm exhausted and Yes, I can grow it and grow it really fast, but to, 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 you know, who loses out here? So for me, it's like continuing the road I'm doing, you know, building trust. And I said, I've entered in quite a few different competitions. And like I said, with the beauty shortlist, it's, it's in there again, and that'll be coming up in March. And again, so this is external confirmation that this product is doing what it's doing. And I've already won, you know, a wellbeing award. It's, you know, as a free from, is a finalist in 2020. And that was the first product I've ever tried entering a competition and it got through and by experts. So for me, it's like continue the growing the trust, continue developing new products, but they would take time to come out. Um, and I said, I always go on the instinct with this. Who I do business with is really important. I need to like them. I need to be inspired by them. And, you know, if you're to, to bring this kind of product and business further, 
um, I think it has to have that, you know, ethos deep down for everybody first do no harm. And if, if somebody, you know, coming in and saying, great, we can sell loads of these on blah, 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 you know, get them into Target in America. And I said, yeah, but that's not where my customers are looking to buy it. Yeah. So, you know, that's not where I need to be right now. So it's a case of watch the space. And it is. And the fact I got even a DM from somebody, you know, a beautiful um, life coach who works with women and she's a nurse. And she said, I'd love to do something with you because she says you're such a strong, you know, incredible court brand. And I'm only on the business, you know, for a year. Yeah. And I'm going, oh, wow. So whatever I am doing, it's working. And uh, but it has to work to my authenticity um, because I, I'm, I'm not here to be, you know, trying to fool people. I'm, I'm here trying to, you know, empower them and inspire them as much as I'm inspired and empowered by other people. So for me, that's the ethos. First, do no harm. I'm a big keep, fan of that. Yeah. And keep keep doing what I'm doing and yeah. do as much as I can and as much as I can, given where I am in this life at the moment. Um, and I said, look, there'll be a time where the kids will be happily gone and only want my money. So <laughs> when that comes, you know what? Then I can throw the absolute, the bucket at it and say, let's, you know. Yeah. But you know what? It's, it's, you know, my counter keeps reminding me. He said, what you've done in two and a half years is amazing. He says, normally there's teams of people. For sure. But don't, you know, your level of success is not necessarily the amount of sales you have. And for me, it's like sales will come when people are trusting and experiencing the product and hearing about it in different ways. And that's the way I'm going about this. I love it. Olivia Norman, the founder of Navilo. It's been an absolute pleasure spending the last hour with you. I wish you nothing but continued success. But for today, we'll end it there. Thank you so much, Rean. It has been an absolute joy. Beautiful morning. Get a sun in my morning, babe.